0: If Buildings Could Talk is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. Now offering video visits so you can take control of your orthopedic care from the comfort of your home. Schedule online at OrthoCarolina.com. OrthoCarolina, you improved. If Buildings Could Talk, what would
1: they say? What does the building stand for, literally and figuratively? Hear the stories behind our buildings and how the design of these places positively impacts the lives of individuals and the success of our city. Welcome
2: to If Buildings Could Talk, hosted by John Commison and Kelly Thompson. You have those moments and it's as if everything pauses, right, it was as if it, I was standing on the stage silent and yet I could hear the music being played. Queen's University of Charlotte has nurtured a love for the arts among its students.
1: Now, it's spreading that same passion to the community. Today, we'll hear how Queens transformed an aging facility into the Sarah Belk Gambrell Center for the Arts and Civic Engagement, a place for students, faculty and staff,
2: and the Charlotte community to enjoy and appreciate the arts. If the Sarah Belk Gambrell Center for the Arts and Civic Engagement could talk, it would say, remember who built you, Remember who you are, so you know who to become.
3: If this building could talk, I think it would say, I'm now a proud and distinguished member of this campus and community. I'm a place that facilitates interdisciplinary learning and celebrates the importance of the arts in the lives of the students, the faculty at Queen's University, as well as the cultural community at large.
4: If this building could talk, I think it would actually say, where the heck has everybody been? I got all dressed up for
5: nothing.
1: Hey, everybody. I'm Kelly Thompson.
5: And I'm John Commison.
1: And we're your hosts for If Buildings Could Talk. Today's story is about the Sarah Belk Gambrell Center for the Arts and Civic Engagement at Queen's University of Charlotte. Founded in 1857, Queen's University is a small private co-ed university with about 2,500 students. The campus is nestled in the historic neighborhood of Myers Park, just minutes from uptown Charlotte. So students, professors, and those visiting don't have to choose between an intimate campus or a big city. They get the great combination of both.
5: It really is a gem. I love driving through that part of town and passing by the campus. It really adds a lot of richness and texture to the city. But we're here to talk specifically about the Gambrell Center and how the building not only serves to educate students, but it's also a prominent and very visible reminder that the arts are a vibrant part of our world and a source of rich engagement between the university and the city. Last episode, we talked about the notion of community and how that manifested itself in a building. It's interesting to think that a notion can drive the design of the building. And I love the notion for this project the arts as a vehicle for civic engagement, that has many layers and a lot of depth. I'm excited to hear about the building came to be and the impact that it's having.
1: We heard from our first three guests at the top of the episode with their thoughts on what the facility would say. Dr. C.U. Challens Lipton is the executive director of the Department of Art, Design, and Music at Queens. She is an art historian and was awarded her Doctor of Philosophy in 19th Century Art from Oxford University in the UK. She spent her childhood in Africa, Europe, Asia and the South Pacific, and continues to be passionate about travel, culture, languages, and, the, and of course, art and education. Shannon Rydell is an architect at Little and the studio principal for higher education. He was the principal in charge of the Gambrell Center project and worked very closely with CU and with Chase Walker. Chase leads Charlotte area commercial projects along with Sean McCarthy for Benoit Construction. Having worked in the Charlotte market for 15 years, Chase is known for his expertise in highly complex projects and led the construction team on the project. See you, you've lived all over the world. How is it that you landed in Charlotte at Queen's University?
2: Oh. <laughs> so um, I my father works for the United Nations, and that's how um, I came to travel around the world. And his last posting was in Montreal, where I met my husband. Um, at McGill and um, he was coming down to Charlotte and we ended up here 30 odd years ago. So that's how I came to Charlotte. And then, um, and then eventually I was doing my defil long distance, you know, I'd go back to England and come back here. Um, and in the end, I joined Queens 15 years ago.
5: So tell us about when you joined the, the program as it was then, and how it has grown over the years.
2: Yeah, so when I joined, it was a very small program. There were about five students and we had a degree called art.
5: <laughs> That's pretty descriptive.
2: <laughs> you, could, you could take, you know, some art history, some studio art. Um, there were no design classes or anything like that. So um, we decided soon to try and grow the department. We were in a, you know, scattered around campus, but we started to grow it and add many other majors, um, including graphic design and interior design. And then a few years ago, we merged and brought music and music therapy together under one department of art design and music. So as the
1: program started to grow, at what point did you realize you needed a new facility? And then also, how did your relationship with Sarah Belk Gambrell help make that a reality?
2: Yes, that's interesting. I think, you know, I've known Sarah since my first year of moving to Charlotte. I had known Sarah for a long, long time and Sally, her daughter. Um, And um, I think the minute I sort of joined Queen's, I had this dream, (laughs) um, as did many in the arts, right? Um, And um, the hope was that there would be a combination of the arts. I've always believed in the importance of interdisciplinary learning within the arts and without. Um, and early on, um, you know, we started with a thing called Hanger Painting um, where we wanted to create a gallery in the in our old building and um, we had no gallery system and people came. We sent out invitations for Hanger Painting. You, you literally would imagine hanging a painting. And one of those was um, Sarah uh, Belt Gambrell. Um, and she was a great supporter for a long time. And when it came to really, you know, once we'd grown the department up to now more like 200 students, you know, you, the university then recognizes that you should have a presence and to show support of the arts. A building is the great sort of reflection of that, the visual reflection of support um, of the arts. And Sarah um, ended up being the lead donor um, through her daughter Sally and brought visibility to something that had meant so much to her, to many others in the department, many faculty and historically to many people and to myself. And she, as you know, is a great supporter of education and of the arts and her vision and hope um, wedded with mine. And and I think her leadership and her belief in me being a leader in the arts as a woman really came through in the end. And it's it was a wonderful sort of marriage of ideas.
5: That's great. Right. The the project actually is a major renovation and addition to an existing facility. Shannon, can you tell us in kind of broad strokes the Basic program for the
3: project. Sure. Uh, so the goal of the project was really to consolidate all of the arts into into one um, magnificent place, and there was a lot of excitement built around this project, um, serving that purpose, but also bringing the community into uh, to to really be engaged with uh, a venue that was unlike any other in Charlotte. But the program was largely based in um, revitalizing the performing arts through um, remaking and re the theater component, the auditorium component, which was to be for 1,000 seats and or, uh, exist in 1,000 seats post-renovation also was pre-renovation as well. But also bring the visual arts program and uh, musical arts program into the facility in a meaningful way. So um, combining all of those things together was was really the the focus of the program.
1: So Shannon, how how did you get involved in this project in the in the first place? And then Chase, maybe you if you want to follow Shannon and talk about how you got involved as well, that'd be great.
3: Yeah. So um, you know, little had been really become a a trusted advisor to Queen's university throughout the years. And prior to me being involved with Queens, um, as a a lead, um, liaison, we, we really had just completed the Rogers science building, as well as the health and wellness center for Queens university. So this was, um, the next step in a complete comprehensive renovation of their, of their campus. And so, but it was a very important one in that the, the building in its, in its current state was, well, to say it was tired is really an understatement, but to um, to understand its position on campus, it occupies one of the prominent corners of campus. So everybody in the community sees it. It's a big part of uh, of the Queen's experience essentially. So when we came on board, we were really brought in to build excitement, continue to understand um, how the fundraising process was such an important part of uh, the success of the facility. So we actually created some um, some visual uh, materials to, to show to the community and really en- enliven the, the process of, of uh, fundraising.
1: Chase, what about you?
4: Uh, I got involved um, a little bit before Queens at, or before Shannon at first. We, um, we looked at some napkin sketches with uh, Troy Lutman, Bill Nichols, Matt Packey, and and Dr. Davies, who's previously the uh, president there. Um, We said, you know, this is kind of what we're thinking for the project uh, as far as cost goes, time. And uh, it was a very vague thought at at that point in time. And we tried to put some parameters around what they should think about. things that they should really focus on and they kind of took it from there uh, for fundraising and and they then uh, got a little involved where um, I think you guys had probably about six months to do design which is nowhere near enough time to really do design on much of anything but did a great job and uh, I got back involved and Like most projects, you know, there there's challenges with with budget. You always want to do it as cost effective as possible and as quick as possible uh, and maintain the quality. And we spent, I don't know, Shannon, probably about four months and then, you know, the rest of the project trying to figure out ways to to be as cost
5: effective as possible and finally
4: got the project kicked off.
5: Shannon, you described the process as refine build. Now. I've heard of design bid build, and I've heard of design build, but are you telling me that you guys invented a whole nother delivery method?
3: We, we did, John. That's exactly <laughs> what, what I imply. Um, no, I. You know what was great about this process, and also the biggest challenge from our perspective was, as Chase said, we had six months to really take some um, some great ideas that that Queens came to us with, but really make the design work from all aspects from the owner's perspective from the constructability perspective and so um, when Vanoy got involved it really was to test a lot of the cost um the, the cost analysis that we had done to date and what that meant was that um uh, some of the from from program elements to um to aesthetic choices to you know fundamental kind of design elements in the building they were all challenged, and we had to really work as a team to, to prioritize that. And so those refinements took place while we were still drawing. So uh, we rolled our sleeves up and, and you know spent uh, countless hours, probably as many hours from the six months that we designed the building to actually start construction of the building uh, to make sure that more everybody time was after comfortable. That. <laughs> yeah. And then once, once it was rolling, we were still making decisions throughout the whole yeah. process. It was very fluid.
1: So it sounds like, you know, time obviously was was a challenge, but also met as an opportunity, it sounds like. But Chase, what um, what were some of the other challenges that you had to overcome on the construction side? I I read or saw somewhere where it was probably one of the rainiest um, times of the year during when this project was being built. But besides the rain, I suppose, were there other challenges that you had to work around?
4: Well, I mean, not j- the rain was not just for that year. It was the rainiest time in Charlotte as a history. So we had two of hurricanes course, of course. that year um, while we're, we're renovating uh, a project that the roof has to come off. So, I mean, the, the whole structure of this building, without getting into too many details of it, uh, basically had to be redone. We, we threaded, we called it threading the needle, um, where we took steel cut through the the concrete slabs of each floor, went down to the basement to add in the, the two mezzanines or balconies in the new theater, and then uh, took the roof off. Um,
5: you don't do that church. sort of thing every day? Well, you know, <laughs> we try to,
4: to to keep it simple, but this one uh, had its challenges, and, and that was definitely one of the biggest. Um, you know, the addition on front had its challenges with um, having to dig down 18 feet to the existing foundations, uh, as I mentioned, this project has a basement. So, you know, almost every building in Charlotte has you know either an aquifer or you know water underneath it somewhere, and this one has it really close to the to the basement. So we had its challenges there. Um, you know, the the process of, of building during a rainy year without a roof is a constant challenge because the schedule on this, we needed to be building the interior while we're working on the structure and the exterior of the building. So I, I think between all of that, that those were
5: the, the biggest ones to overcome. How was the working relationship, uh, architect, contractor, and, and owner on this project? Well, the architect was terrible. No, I'm just <laughs> kidding, I'm just <laughs> kidding.
4: No, it was honestly the, the best experience I've had with an architect. Um, in complicated jobs like this, you know, there's so many instances, as every architect and contractor know, to to really point the finger at each other, and say why why did you do this, or you know, whatever the case may be. And I was really really proud of both teams to have really never got into that scenario. And there were so many instances where it, it just would have been an easy fallback. And uh, I think Shannon and I held together and you know, made sure that that wasn't part of this project.
3: Yeah, I have to add, if I could, um, there, are, there are moments in your career that you, you remember as, as being highlights. And I think from the owner's side, the contractor side and, and the team that, that we assembled this this will remain one of the one of the highlights of, of, of my career personally but uh, uh chase said it well that it, it was truly a team effort and i think the uh the level of commitment um from from the owners owner's committee to uh to our weekly uh, meetings to late nights discussing how we're going to resolve issues these are all things that a part of that process and it it doesn't show up necessarily in the in the building but it definitely lives on as 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 a process that was that was absolutely remarkable.
1: So and this question can be for for all of you was there any point or i guess maybe what point in the project did you really feel like it was all coming together?
3: Great question. I <clears throat> I personally remember Um, distinctly as as Chase was mentioning that you know the roof came off the building it was a mess for a while and we were putting it back together and one of the design um, strategies that came forward regarding the 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 performance hall itself was to create not one but two balconies uh, so that every floor had direct access into the theater and so I remember standing on the stage um, and we were discussing you know putting the roof back on the facility, but at the same time we could see the balconies taking shape and the steel coming together. And, you know, we had machine, massive pieces of equipment in there and it was noisy, but I could just see it. Right. And it, it really is one of those moments where you, you have to stop and, and recognize and appreciate that. Yeah, this is actually going to be an amazing venue for the community and for the, and for the university. So for me that it was that moment, um, and probably uh, I saw a little bit beyond uh, where it was currently to sort of envision the, the future state of it. But but it was really powerful to to be there and to and sort of witness that coming together and see every, all the activity. I mean, there's so many dedicated folks to making this thing happen. Um, they were there every single day, well beyond five o'clock, trying to trying to get it completed. So that was that was that was my moment. Uh,
2: yeah, I, I think. Um... I, I did have that feeling also in the Sandra Levine Theatre um, as I looked out and i it's interesting how when you have those moments, that was one and there's another one I'll describe in a second, but you have those moments and it's as if everything pauses, right? It was as if it, I was standing on the stage silent and yet I could hear the music being played. It was just incredibly exciting and seeing those balconies come forth. And then the next stage was the rooftop for the visual arts um, when this terrace was created, so an outdoor classroom for painting, etc., but also a terrace for socializing. And you could see the sky and then, and, and the treetops, right? And it opening out to that, and then looking back and looking into the studios. And I felt, I, I, again, it was a silent moment, but I imagined the students out there laughing and drinking their coffee and talking and, and just that sort of camaraderie within the, the whole environment. And those moments, impossibilities because the rooftop originally were these very frightening cages that nobody wanted to go up to. And you were like, oh, I have to go get something in the cages. But now it was this beautiful space and a space that even was magically able to open up to the skies. So it was an incredible
0: moment.
4: Yeah, I think for me uh, as a contractor, it it happens a little bit differently. And, and I, I had a similar uh, moment there in the, the auditorium as the the wall the curved walls were going in, seeing those go in and, and tie into the the balconies, seeing that go together. I mean that that's to, in my opinion the heart of that building or the the you know the jewel there. Um, but as a contractor, for me it was when we got dried in. You know that was kind of the the moment you know you crack your knuckles and say okay. We got this let's drive this thing home um whenever water stops coming in the building that's when we knew we could we could make it
5: that's pretty interesting just to hear those three different perspectives from you know a single question we're going to take a little break right now but we'll be right back with our next guests
0: North Carolina personalized orthopedic care goes beyond my appointment. Accessible, comprehensive, and compassionate. It's my care, my way.
1: Schedule your appointment today at orthocarolina.com.
3: Get ready. Broadway is returning to Charlotte. Blumenthal Performing Arts has an incredible selection of upcoming hits, including the returns of Hamilton and Wicked, plus the long-awaited Charlotte debut of Disney's Frozen and many more fan-favorite musicals and plays. Season tickets are on sale now at BlumenthalArts.org bpa Broadway.
0: Wash your hands, avoid sick people, and touching your face. There are everyday actions to help prevent the spread of respiratory diseases. Visit cdc.gov COVID-19. Brought to you by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. At Carolina, my personalized orthopedic care begins with the click of a mouse because online scheduling saves me time. Carolina, my care, my way.
1: Schedule your appointment today at OrthoCarolina.com.
6: If the building could talk, she would say, My halls are filled with the laughter of people, the lessons of professors, and the vibrato of instruments. My once fading facade is now gleaming with the light new beginnings for Thank
0: you for filling me with life. It would say, I encourage innovation, come inside to create and collaborate.
5: We just heard from our next guests. Marasha Winnaker is a student at Queens University. She's originally from Atlanta and will graduate in May with a triple major, receiving Bachelor of Arts degrees in Art History, studio art and arts leadership and administration. Cameron Edwards is also a student at Queens. Cameron is originally from Huntsville, Alabama. She's also a senior and she's majoring in music therapy. Let's start with a question similar to the one we asked to see you. What attracted both of you to Queens University and why did you decided to come to Charlotte to study. Let's start with Marasha and then we'll go to Cameron.
6: I knew that I wanted to study art history um, and I was looking into arts leadership and administration or arts management programs. And I saw that Queens had it. Queens was my first choice since I first visited. um, I was attracted to the study abroad program and the internships programs. So um, I decided to make my way to charlotte it's only four hours from home so i was close enough to my parents um but far enough where they couldn't like sneak up on me so that's important
5: good strategy
0: um like Marasha, i knew that i wanted to study music therapy coming to queens which definitely played a big part in my decision i felt like the music therapy department was really valued within the music department and that I could get equal education, both as a clinician and the more psychology side of things, but also as a musician. Um, and then on top of that, when I visited Queens, I knew um, when I stepped foot on campus, I could just really pick up on how person first the community was and how I'd be just more than a student and my professors would care about me as an individual and I could make those connections with faculty and student life programs and within the classroom. Can you tell me a little bit more about your majors? I think most people probably
1: know art history and studio art, but I'm not sure that most folks know necessarily much about um, music therapy or arts leadership and administration. Cameron, maybe share a little bit more about music therapy and then Marasha, maybe you can share a little bit more about arts leadership and administration.
0: Of course, so music therapy is the clinical use of music to help an individual achieve goals that can be physical, um, social, spiritual, cognitive, anything like that. So we often work with individuals, maybe children with special needs within a hospital, older adults with dementia, kind of anything on that spectrum, Um, working on goals such as maintaining range of motion, we can provide a steady beat for gait training. um, We can do songwriting and lyric analysis to work on some verbal processing skills and kind of, talking about different difficulties they're facing.
6: So arts leadership, uh, how I like to describe arts leadership is uh, really the study of bus- the business of art. Um, and there's so many aspects within that. So there's, you get um, you know nonprofit organizations to their core with funding, um, uh, everything from taxes to organizational structure and Board requirements, um, and also on entrepreneurship, and um, and museum leadership, and how the art world works, um, art law too, which is incredibly interesting and I think really necessary for artists and museums and really arts organizations to know. So, the business of art is how I typically describe it, and that encompasses all of those things
5: both of you were part of the program before and after this project what was it like what was the anticipation like and when you first were able to step into the new facility what did you think and feel
0: I think throughout my four years yeah we've seen we've seen the old space we've seen that period of transition where we were kind of displaced and having the anticipation build um, for the new building. We had the grand opening and then we had the crazy year last year where we switched to online and hybrid and now we're back in the building. Um, And if there's one thing I've learned from all those different types of learning, it's that space really fosters community. Whoa, wait,
5: wait, say that again. Say that, that's a, (laughs) say that again.
0: Space fosters community. Oh, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and so I think being back in this building and having this collaborative space, um, it just emphasizes all that we've seen in our past four years, especially within the arts, such um, a community-based field, having the space to kind of build those relationships and learn and grow from each other is really important.
6: Absolutely, and going off what Cameron said, I think before the building renovation, I stepped foot in in that building maybe a couple times when I had to, um, it was never somewhere where I wanted to be or wanted to hang out. Um, and it was also to me, it was like, oh, well that's, that's music or, you know, that's this area of study rather than like, that's my space. It was very separate. So what, like what Cameron said, it did bring us all together. And I think the anticipation of getting to know everyone within the arts or at least your peers within the arts was really exciting. Um, Our previous building, the visual arts, or where I had my courses, I think CU touched on it really well. And she said that uh, having a building is the university's visible support of our program. I think as a student to know that our institution supports what we're doing and sees the value in it only added to that excitement and added to the passion that I think I've had and so many other students had for not only Queen's University of Charlotte, but also for our our majors in our career paths. It was great and and it did what it, we had classes and we did well in the classes, but to see how much inspiration could come from a building with light and, like Cameron said, community um, was so exciting. And I think all of the students were ready for a change and ready um, for new hope that that the building brought and brings.
4: What you really said was that was the smelly building on campus.
3: You no, I, I think they both touch on something, though, that's really important in the design process and, and something that that needs to be said is that uh, the existing building, if you if you know it, or even if you don't know it, was was accessed sort of in the middle of it. And it wasn't a building that was really an open platform. It didn't have a community feel to it. And so there was a moment in the design process where we intentionally um, made sure that the access to the building, not only from the street, but but for from the rest of the campus as well became almost an open living room um, feel to it so everyone who comes into the building immediately has visual access but also physical access to collaboration spaces so that lobby um, becomes a really vital important part of that, uh, that whole entry sequence and then you know, you, the reference to natural light is something that was really, really important during the design process as well. We, we were given very specific instructions that we wanted to have as much natural light come into the arts on the third floor as possible, because we all know that that impacts your ability to learn in, in a more advanced way. So uh, the, the, the outdoor courtyard that was referenced, all of the skylights that come into faculty offices and into every single classroom, every space had access to natural light. And it's uh, it's really rewarding to hear that um, it's it's seen as as an enhancement to the, the building because it was a, it was a very intentional uh, design design element. Yeah, even the that step- was
4: always a, a no touch item on the the value engineering was. That's right. You, you can never touch the glass. The glass is always <laughs> part
5: of it.
2: And also that with that light, uh, I remember um, when we were discussing the building and choices of you know tile or. Or, or wood or whatever it might be. We, we thought a lot about the, you know, where we were like uh, in Myers Park with all the old trees. And, and we wanted to bring in that sort of canopy of trees in a sense by having natural colors. And even though it was in a more subtle way that would pervade through the building. So just as we have light falling through trees as you drive around Myers Park, you have light coming through the building with those wooden, you know, more natural colors throughout. Um, and and so symbolically, that would also carry through all the way to the theater. Marashi, you were kind of raising your hand earlier. <laughs> Did you have something you wanted to add
6: on to what we were talking about? Yeah, so I was thinking about how important light is art historically, how light motivated and inspired so many artists in whatever field that they were in and how now having that light in our space, what that does for future artists and future musicians.
5: CU, what are your plans? How do you plan to use the facility for broader civic engagement? Can you give us some examples of what you're thinking about?
2: Yeah, so there's two ways I guess um, I'd like to answer that. One is what we do programmatically. Um, and um, as a university with a liberal arts core, and. I've always thought of the arts as at the heart of the liberal arts, um, um, civic engagement is key because we're not just creating you know, little art historians or little music therapy um, majors, but rather people who think and question and it's the people who they become that's important, right? So, so um, that's, that's vital to us that we create this sort of community in that sense. Um, but programmatically we are, we are, you know, as you heard earlier in music therapy, we're engaged in the community constantly. We are in every major sort of embedding different civic engagement thoughts. So things like painting murals in the community, um, when black lives matter happened and we had the whole mural on Tryon street, one of our faculty and and students was involved. Um, whatever issue evolves in the community, we are, we are there. Um, so what we teach is you know completely engaged with civic engagement. I think people don't always understand that, but the arts are engaged in the community through partnerships we have, um, be it through theater or music or the visual arts, all the major sort of organizations we have partnerships with and are growing that, but also the more grassroots movements. The other thing is visually, we try and enforce some of those ideas. So if, as you walk into the Gambrel Center in the Selvin Atrium, you'll see two uh, murals that, that are created by a street artist who our students were working with, and they deal with sort of the importance of upwards of mobility in Charlotte and connectivity, which are huge issues now. Um, then if you go on to the terrace um, that was referenced, you have um, um, a Claudia Rankine poem, um, uh, The Citizen, right, linked to the importance of um, of equality, racial equality in America. So I could go on and on, but the idea of both visually and literally through our programs, we are engaged in the community in many, many ways. That's fantastic. So
1: I know COVID has put somewhat of a, a damper on kind of getting regular um, artists in and, and performances and that kind of thing. Is there any sort of timeline or at least hopeful timeline of when you may be able to kind of book those performances or is that already happening?
2: So we are hybrid right now. Um, And um, what that means is there are some, there's some, you know, our choir is performing in the Sandra Levine theater, but not to the greater public. Um, I know that we haven't actually decided. So we're hoping that soon, (laughs) but we have to hear from senior leadership. Um, We will open up. I'm hoping that by the fall, things have more normality. I think across the board, we're seeing that across the globe, right? So um, for now, we're waiting to see details about limited access and maybe um, performances outside using the the front porch or whatever. So that sort of thing could happen and limited access to gallery. That's really where we're at.
5: What sort of artists do you, or musicians, or performances do you hope to showcase?
2: Oh gosh, Um, lots of things. Right now, we actually have an exhibit up with Penland artists at the Penland School of Craft. So we have Penland artists with our faculty right now. In the fall, we'll be having um, uh, an exhibit um, of Bank of America uh, photographs. Um, So um, it's called Influence and Identity. Um, So those are the more immediate. We have um, several uh, musical performances where um, Aaron Neville um, will be joining us in the fall, for instance. Um, uh, We also will have the readings in spring of Elizabeth Strout. Um, So a wide variety of possibilities um, coming. Um, St. Martin in the Fields will be coming a little later, but.
5: Kelly, any final thoughts about our conversation today?
1: Yeah, you know, I'll be honest, I feel like art galleries and theaters have always been somewhat intimidating to me. You know, I think of them as these kind of pristine places, but hearing the story of this newly renovated center and the transformation it underwent and how it was really intended to be this cultural Hub makes me so desperate to go, you know, to go see it in person, and so it's exciting for our community to know that there's a place that is not only enhancing arts education for students, but also bringing the love of arts to the city as a whole.
5: For, for me, the. I think about the reason we created this podcast was to be able to tell the backstories about our buildings and especially the impact that they have on people in the community that use them. And this project literally addresses that in its name, the Sarah Belk Gambrell Center for Arts and Civic Engagement. Civic engagement. I love that all of the programs as CU talked about them have that as a core value. How does the work that we do engage with and impact the broader community? How does it reflect the times we live in? Can it uplift our spirits and intentionally make us more uncomfortable? How can it be therapy for me? I also feel that any city needs to have a strong relationship with their institutions of higher learning. And this program and this building are really shouting that to the world. I love it. And I can't wait for this pandemic to be over so that I can go to exhibits and performances and soak all of it in. Kelly, if the Gambrell Center could talk, what would it say?
1: I think if the building could talk, it would likely open up one of its art history books and pull a quote from artist henry moore and say to be an artist is to believe in life what about you john what about what you got up your sleep Yes.
5: well you know of all the buildings that we've profiled surely This building has a song in its heart, wouldn't you? What do you think?
1: I have no doubt. I have no (laughs)
5: doubt. Ah, but which one? Yeah. So we're going to go again to the Beatles. And this song was written by John Lennon, credited to Lennon and McCartney, as most of theirs were. It's the opening track on their 1969 album, Abbey Road, and was also released as a single coupled with something. So there's a little bit of uh, history, maybe some music history. I bet Cameron and Marasha have never even seen a single, but, but you know, back in the day when we couldn't scrape enough money together to buy the whole album, we would buy a single and it had a, you know, obviously had two sides. So um, you may know both of those songs uh, it reached the top of the charts in uh, the US. I did have to tweak one of the lyrics a little bit because even John Lennon couldn't see this one coming. But here we go. One thing I can tell you is you got to see me come together right now over me. Now, what? I, I know there are a lot of things that could improve that, but one thing that could improve that would be engagement. So everybody needs to come off of mute. And so I will do the, uh, I'll do the first verse, and then everybody is going to join me for the come together right now over me. Okay. Are we ready? Let's do this. We're ready. With, let's do it. Let's do this with gusto. Cameron, Cameron, you're the music person here. Can you help? Can oh, you, you a, direct? I need a beat. I need a beat. You got a cowbell, don't you? Let's play the cowbell. All right. One more time. <clears throat> one thing I can tell you is you've got to see me come together, come together, together, together right, right
3: now, now.
5: Over, over me. me. All right. <laughs> that All right. was
1: awesome. <laughs> That's engagement right there. Engagement.
5: <laughs> Kelly and I would like to thank our guests, Dr. C U Challens Lipton, Shannon Rydell, Chase Walker, Marasha Winnaker, and Cameron Edwards. Our sponsor, Ortho Carolina, Brian Baltasevich and his team at Queen City Podcast Network. Andy Spain and Ryan Davis for post-production, and Heather McQuilkin, our Chief of Staff at Little, who is the glue that binds this whole operation together here at If Buildings Could Talk World Headquarters. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, and feel free to leave us a review. Thanks for listening to If Buildings Could Talk, and we'll look forward to having you join us for the next episode.